Ninja. Hi everyone and welcome to this edition of Geography Ninja. Today what we're going to look at are the theories around plate tectonics. And it's a subject that I've noticed a lot of geography students are actually really into. And I think it's because it deals with the fundamentals, the structure of the earth, the very highly visible natural events, hazards, disasters, earthquakes, tsunamis, volcanoes, and so on. And I thought I'd start off like this. We live on a giant spherical jigsaw puzzle called planet Earth. And the reason it's like a jigsaw puzzle is that the Earth's surface is formed of a range of plates. Not actually like any jigsaw I've ever seen, by the way, but they sort of do lock together in a fashion. However, this jigsaw puzzle is in constant motion. Hmm. Well, the first thing I thought we could start off with is just the word itself, tectonic, which is a pretty strange word. A little bit of internet research, though, seems to suggest it comes from uh, ancient Greek, the ancient Greek word for building, actually. Wikipedia tells me that the Latin version of that is tectonicus, which I really like, and I might even start using that um, very regularly. But of course, you know, you think about Latin, it's, it's uh, well, is it a dead language? It's, it's used for certain applications, but the language of the Roman Empire and plate tectonics wasn't really a thing. You know, 2000 years ago, it wasn't there. It's much more recent history. But in fact, if we wanted to say plate tectonics in Latin, we'd probably have to come up with something like laminum tectonicus which does sound a bit weird, doesn't it? But anyway, what we're dealing with is really the idea of the lithosphere and its division into different sized plates. Uh, now, the lithosphere is actually a really good key term type word that you are definitely going to want to be using. And, you know, you can amaze your friends with with use of that word. But what does it what does it mean well it has got its origins again in ancient greek and it really just means rocky sphere planet earth is obviously sphere shaped spherical and the earth's crust is made of rock so that's really what we're what we're talking about we're talking about the the one part of the earth's structure where we all live where all life happens so we've got all of our you know uh, land sur surfaces our oceans where our earthquakes and volcanoes happen within the uh, on the Earth's crust, we no notice their effects. So overall, it's pretty thin, and uh, you know, in relation to the actual size of the the planet. And some people have used the metaphor of the Earth's crust being like the skin of an apple, and everything else that you have makes up the structure of the planet, which is like the mantle and the core, the interior of of the Earth. That obviously makes up the bulk of the planet. And things going on below the crust that is that give rise to the movement of these tectonic plates. We shall we shall revisit that point uh, later on. So the the lithosphere or, or the crust we can we can really split into two main types. So firstly, we've got what is called continental crust. Now this also has an, another name. I'm not sure the origin of this. It's also known as uh, Sial, and it can be thick it's, well, it's certainly thicker than the other type of crust so up to about 70 kilometers in places so this is areas where you have you know you can have mountain ranges so think of the Himalayan mountains the the uh, uh, the Andes the Alps and so on these are on continental crust 
Secondly, we've got oceanic crust, which is also known as SEMA, uh, which is generally much thinner uh, than the continental. So somewhere between about six and ten uh, kilometres of thickness. So quite different. Uh, now, the other main difference between these two types of crust is in, in their geology. So oceanic crust is made, made up mainly of basalt, where continental crust contains mainly, uh, consists mainly of granite. So overall, this does mean that oceanic crust has got a, a higher density, uh, which relates to the, the, the mineral content. Now, virtually everything we call plate tectonics in the present day, the 21st century, dates from scientific research that was carried out uh, in the 20th century, century, and in particular the 1960s. But if we go back to maybe the 17th, cent 17th century, so the scientist, philosopher and statesman Francis Bacon is also credited, although indirectly, for contributing to plate tectonic theory. Because uh, what he did was noting the the similarities in the shape of the coastline between the, the west coast of Africa and the east coast of South America seemed really well matched in going back to this idea of a jigsaw that the two could sort of fit together you get rid of the Atlantic Ocean and you push those two together and they would fit now Francis Bacon is also is also accredited for creating uh, the scientific methods of observing facts uh, methodically and if you want to look at this further look up the Baconian method uh, if you search for the bacon method, you're probably going to find, you know, 15 ways of, of on how to cook bacon. So maybe avoid that. So we've got a bit of a link going on there uh, with geography and exploration, uh, particularly in, in the uh, 17th and 18th centuries as European explorers are going out and mapping out the coastlines of the Atlantic ocean uh, the americas and, and africa and so on and once we get to the early 20th century german scientist alfred uh, wegener published his research called the origin of continents and oceans and this is is also known better known really as uh, continental drift theory this is dating from 1915 and Wegener's theory suggested that the earth's continents have not always been in their present day positions and if you go back in time around 200 million years from the present, uh, the suggestion is that all the continents were actually joined together in one huge supercontinent called Pangaea. <clears throat> in his time, though, Wegener was, was definitely criticised by uh, the, the mainstream scientific community. And this is really because he didn't have any way of explaining how uh, plate movement might have happened. What he did have, though, is a lot of evidence to support this idea of continental drift, the movement of of continents. So, for example, evidence would have included things like fossil remains, finding them on separate continents, suggesting that they maybe in the past they had been been joined. So we've got the example of a freshwater reptile. So we've got the example of um, freshwater reptile fossils. So this is dating from around 300 million years ago, a species known as Mesosaurus, which, whose remains have been discovered in both Southern Africa and South America. 
Um, as well as that, we've got fossilised plant species uh, that have been discovered across across continents, including Antarctica, um, suggesting you know that had previously been at a different latitude, but also you know combined in in other places. So the evidence has included geology as well, and and mapping eastern South America and West Africa, as well as this jigsaw fit. We've got these. Um, continuity of rock formations and the same type of geology that is found continuous across both continents. Um, as well as this, we've got some evidence that um, coal has previously been formed on the Antarctic landmass, as well as evidence of glaciation in India and Brazil. So as we get into the mid-20th century, we've got a huge quantity of new research taking place, particularly in the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. So, 1948 in the Atlantic Ocean, and we've got Texan geophysicist and oceanographer Morris Doc Ewing. Actually, Ewing's a very Texan name, isn't it? I'm just thinking back to uh, previous soap operas I might have seen in the past. Anyway, Doc Ewing he identified submarine mountain range running the whole length of the Atlantic Ocean and Ewing actually became professor of geology at Columbia University and um, his Atlantic research was funded by the National Geographic Society but this is really this is the mid-Atlantic Ridge so it's found to be around a thousand kilometers wide and up to two and a half thousand meters in height uh, and part of Ewing's research identified the geology of the Mid-Atlantic Ridge to be volcanic and relatively young. So is this immediate post-war period really uh, important, really influential in, in where our understanding of plate tectonics starts to be developed from? So in particular, we've got the development of sonar, uh, in other words, sound navigation and ranging, uh, which uses sound to navigate and detect objects on the uh, on the ocean floor or you know within within the water and this accelerated during world war 2 now professor harry hess who taught geology at princeton university served with the us navy during world war 2 and he helped map out some of the north pacific ocean using sonar and um a decade or so later, or actually by 1962, uh, the theory that became known as seafloor spreading was outlined in a paper by Harry Hess. And it, this was actually titled the, the History of Ocean Basins, but it's, it's all of this ocean research was fundamental um, for our plate tectonic uh, theory that was starting to develop. So it's really important because Hess's research suggested a process uh, and it really did help support this idea of continental drift that uh, Wegener had come up with you know, 50 years or so earlier. So Hess's research looked at the age of rocks in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean from the mid-Atlantic ridge really all the way to the coast of North America, uh, the, the east coast of North America. And what this confirmed was that rocks were older the further away you got from the Mid-Atlantic Ridge. And the newer ones were more in the centre of the ocean, closer uh, to the, to the Mid-Atlantic Ridge. So Hess 
suggested that the Atlantic Ocean could be expanding by around five centimetres a year. And his seafloor spreading theory suggested that oceans were growing new crust from their centre as molten rock, uh, you know, molten basalt was was emerging, was, was being, being forced upwards from beneath the Earth's crust, making its way from the mantle, forming new oceanic crust, really. Uh, so this meant that seafloor spreading was happening in both directions away from the ridge. The main problem with Hesse's theory, seafloor spreading theory, in 1962 was the implication uh, that how could it be, how, how was that possible? You know, did it mean that the Earth was actually getting bigger? The Earth was expanding in size as new crust was being formed in, in, the, the, in the middle of the oceans? Um, in addition, details on the the process by which plates were 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 moving was was still not explained. Okay, so I hope you're you're with me on all this so far because we're we're really we're we're going through the sixties. We, so the next bit in our story is the year later, 1963. And this is where we've got a couple of British geologists from Cambridge University publishing a paper looking at the magnetic patterns on the ocean floor. This is Frederick Vine and Drummond Matthews. And they're really trying to reinforce the ideas of seafloor spreading because what they identified was a symmetrical pattern on either side of the Mid-Atlantic Ridge of different magnetic alignments. So, you know, over geological history, the Earth's magnetic field has shifted from, you know, the North Pole to the South Pole, back again, many, many times. And it, this is really where minerals in the, in the oceanic crust, such as uh, iron oxides, align themselves to either the North or the South Poles, depending on where the Earth's uh, mag you know the, what the the look of the Earth's magnetism is. Uh, so we've got some research out there suggesting that um, over the last seventy six million years, there's been one hundred and seventy one uh, reversals of the Earth's magnetic field, and um, a, you've got a corresponding pattern of this alignment either side of the Mid Atlantic Ridge. So also in 1963, it's all starting to, to, to happen. I was going to say all starting to kick off. I guess that you could say it like that. You know, So 1963, you've got Canadian geophysicist John Tuzo Wilson, who is suggesting another theory that sort of relates to what we now know as plate tectonics. And this is where you've got volcanic activity happening away from plate boundaries. So, you know, most of our earthquakes and volcanoes and, and so on would happen where geologists have identified a boundary between one plate and another plate. What Tuzo Wilson was looking at is, well, what, what about those places that are, are nowhere near an identified plate boundary, such as the Hawaiian Islands? So Tuzo Wilson was suggesting we've got these hotspots, fixed zones that plates can move across, but as the plate is moving across, You've got volcanic activity coming to the surface um, and, and you know, breaking through the Earth's crust. So, we're, you know, we're looking at the 1960s. It's, you know, sometimes think of the swinging 60s. We're actually we're thinking of the tectonic 60s. 
uh, going on here. Ooh, that's quite interesting. And then the following year, 1964, we've got a major tectonic geophysical event going on. We've got the 1964 Alaskan earthquake, which is one of the biggest earthquake events ever recorded. Actually, not just earthquake, also tsunami. The earthquake triggered a tsunami as well. This was a 9.2 magnitude earthquake. Uh, I just looked this up actually on Wikipedia and it says on there it was um, 600 miles or 970 kilometres of fault ruptured at once and moved up to 60 feet or 18 metres, releasing about 500 years of stress build-up. The Alaskan earthquake was a subduction zone, in brackets, megathrust earthquake, uh, caused by an oceanic plate sinking under a continental plate. And the following year, this was this this so the Alaskan earthquake of 1964 caused quite a, a, a disruption in Alaska. There's some fascinating photos that you can you can find on the internet um, of the aftermath of the earthquake. But it was it was very heavily uh, researched this earthquake. Uh, so in 1965, the year after, uh, the U.S. Geological Survey, the USGS, sent some geologists, uh, particularly the geologist George uh, Plafka, who researched the Alaskan earthquake and published uh, some work that provided uh, geology with evidence that helped explain where oceanic crust initially created at mid oceanic ridges is eventually broken up and destroyed so it's making making the link you know a few years earlier we've got um harry hess talking about new plate being created in the middle of oceans well here we are three years later and we've got george plafka and the usgs saying well actually you've got corresponding areas where plate is being destroyed and the alaskan earthquake gives us this fantastic example to really accelerate our understanding of how the planet works. Now, sometimes plate tectonics can be called a unifying theory because really it just brings all together all of this different information, ideas, theories about how the Earth uh, works, how the Earth's crust operates and so on. And I think the 1964 Alaskan earthquake was, was really, it was, it was a, a huge, it was a giant leap you know, forward in our scientific understanding of plate tectonics. It was it was all in one huge earthquake. Uh, we really got a much clearer idea of of plate tectonics. Now, also in 1965, Tuzo Wilson. There was another theory that came through from Tuzo Wilson, which was about what's called what are called transform. Faults, or in other words, you might be more familiar with it as conservative plate boundaries. In other words, this is where uh, tectonic plates are sliding alongside each other. They're not necessarily creating new crust or destroying crust. They're they're just in motion next to each other. And so this really, uh, sorry, another jigsaw reference. Here. It's the missing piece of the puzzle because it does explain how in some locations this this can operate so the, the most famous one is the san andreas fault in california yes yes i see i see all right well finally we get to 1966 good year england won the world cup 
Hmm. Okay, yes, but even more exciting than that was uh, the PhD thesis of Dan McKenzie, now also at Cambridge University in the UK. Now, why, why is this, you may ask? Well, his research was all about how the Earth's mantle functions. Now, the mantle is the part of the Earth's structure below the crust. So as you're going into the Earth, towards the Earth's core, you've got the crust, and then you come to the mantle. And Mackenzie's idea, well, he developed a model which suggested that the, the planet Earth was actually really dynamic. And in, within the mantle, there are two layers. Both of them are in motion, but these control the movement and the behaviour of the the crust above it, and therefore the tectonic plates. So Dan McKenzie's thesis was about the viscosity of the lower mantle. So we've got this ongoing research in plate tectonics is ongoing. And back in uh, last year, in 2020, National Geographic ran an article on their website about how present day researchers are now using computer modelling to predict the relative positions of the continents in the future. So say 50 million years in the future, 250 million years in the future, what what might happen? What might change? You know, it's, so it's not set. It's not, I was going to say it's not set in stone. It sort of is set in stone, isn't it? But stone moves. We know the Earth's crust shifts over time. Geological time really vastly different to human life, life scale, uh, life cycles. So what will the Earth look like in 250 million years time? Well, scientists are uh, current thinking is that in about 250 million years, the planet's continents might be joined together again, like they were previously with with Wegener's um, research into continental drift and thinking of this supercontinent Pangaea. Um, in the future, uh, researchers have, have come up with a another title, Pangaea Proxima, the idea that all the continents will, will sort of congeal, become one again. And one big aspect of this is, you know, we might have, or we will have new mountain ranges forming. And, you know, so one of the reasons for this is, and I'm looking at a geography textbook here, one of the reasons for this is because of the direction that tectonic plates are moving in. So North America moving westwards away from Europe in the Atlantic Ocean is widening. South America also heading westwards away from the African continent. African continent is gradually moving northwards and we've got the this, the prospect of a, a diminishing Mediterranean Sea. Australia potentially moving northwards more towards the equator, uh, more towards mainland Asia and so on. So lots of potential changes is what we're looking at. So there you go, the theory of plate tectonics. It is, it is absolutely fascinating, um, physical geography. And, uh, you know, I'm sure more theories are going to come, come forward as we, we explore more, as we explore more of the, of the ocean floor. And as we, as we explore the other planets in the, in the solar system. And um, just leave you with, with, with one parting thought. And that's just imagine what it would be like as a geographer if you were able to time travel 250 million years in the future and make a new map of the earth and the positions of the continents you know would we recognize it oh, big one okay there you go we'll finish off there then everybody thanks very much and i will say goodbye for now